Hi, I'm your host, Connie Aileen, and thank you for tuning in to The Fly Behind the Wall, a podcast created to change the narrative about the realities of life in the United States prisons and jails. My goal is to highlight the challenges faced by all correctional staffers working behind the wall and the issues that they navigate in a highly political and scrutinized environment. So welcome, welcome to the Fly Behind the Wall and thank you so much for joining me again. Today we will be talking about compassion fatigue. Yes, compassion fatigue. I do hope that my reflections and insights will help to broaden your understanding of correctional life for employees and offenders. Stay tuned. We are not supposed to care. In corrections, one of the things that we are known for is just being strong, right? We can handle anything. We don't have to care about nothing. We don't care about nothing. We go in, we do their jobs. We're like machines, right? We go in, do our job, we come out. We are unaffected by anything that we see. We experience anything we hear. That is simply not the truth. Um, It is just very challenging working in corrections because you do see things day in and day out that are simply not normal. Um, We may say that we are not affected by the things that we see and the things that happen, but we are. Um, And the thing with compassion fatigue is that it is something that develop, develops over time. You know, it could be weeks, it could be months, it could be years before it surfaces. But basically, it's this low-level chronic clouding of caring and concern for others in our lives, whether it's at work or whether it's outside of work. Um, over time, we tend to feel and care or over time, our ability to feel and care for others becomes eroded through the overuse of our skills of compassion. And so as a service provider, specifically, it's hard. You know, these offenders are a part of our everyday lives. You know, we may not engage with them every day. We don't interact with them every day, but you see them on the corridor. You see them in the hallway. You see them walking into medical. You see them walking over to get their meds. You know, for those who are chronically ill, you see those that are living in our medical or mental observation units. And quite frankly, you engage with them every day, whether it's just giving them meds, it's changing a dressing, it's talking about their prescriptions, it's talking about treatment, they're part of their on a treatment team. You know, it, there's always stuff. And so when things happen, we really get to a point where it can be too much, right? Um, So I recall an incident where we had an offender who was being cared for on our medical unit 
and everyone knew this woman. They knew her, they liked her, she was a nice person. I mean, she was an older offender, but her condition had only gotten progressively worse and she was denied any medical release, any clemency, she just denied, right? And who knows the reason behind that? I mean, her what could have been her criminal history, like who knows? Long story short, she was denied. Now, our reality though is that they say no one dies in prison. And so you make best efforts, especially if someone has some sort of chronic illness, to get them into the appropriate level of care. Now, while many medical units have some uh, advanced technology to support the various levels of uh, medical need, not all of them do. And so sometimes we get to a point where we have to actually transition folks into, you know, like a hospice care facility or long-term care or something, whatever we can. And that's a lengthy process. You know, it's going through the state and trying to figure out who would pay for it, what that would look like, how long that person would actually live in this new or this escalated level of care. I mean, there's so much that goes into the decision, but when we have those offenders who actually go into our version of a hospice care, you know, those are staff that are engaging with them all the time. And so they do care about them and they don't want them to die in prison and they do want their end of life to be a humane one and they do want their end of life to possibly be shared with a family member or a friend as opposed to in a prison cell with a CNA right um but we don't always get that opportunity and so when you have these things that constantly happen where you're kind of feeling the burn right you're feeling the burnout it can be very difficult to maintain that level of compassion because you're just so beaten down sometimes by the realities of the system. And it's not so much that custody is stopping something from happen from happening, excuse me. It could just be that sometimes we don't have the resources to do what we know we could or or should be doing in a certain case. And then the outcome is one that we couldn't avoid, which is even more challenging for many folks to handle. And so when that does happen, you have people who feel, right? Like they're like, oh my goodness, I've had people come in, Connie, I can't believe she's gone. I can't believe this happened. I can't believe we couldn't get her out. I can't believe we couldn't get her into a different level of care, into a different facility. You know, like those are the conversations that care providers come in and have. You know, they're not pretending that it doesn't matter. You know, we're not pretending that, you know, this one, we couldn't get glucagon for somebody because of the cost of glucagon at this point. And now if someone has a medical emergency, we don't have enough on staff. We don't have enough supply. Those are the very tough situations I think as a service provider for you to be in I mean and then you have like the mental health side of things right where you have those providers 
who are exposed to this vicarious trauma every day, right? They're listening to the stories of distress. They're listening to these stories of these people who can't seem to get into a better space in their life. These stories of trauma that they're experiencing and re-experiencing in the story that's being told or they're experiencing as they document them in the health record what the interaction was. I mean, and then what happens, right? It's kind of, and then what? And these experiences that they have every day go unnoted or unnoticed, right? Because we're so busy being tough and being strong. But then we start to see it play out in other ways, right? We start seeing those signs and symptoms of someone who is in a state of compassion fatigue. You know, it's almost like their tank is on empty and they just they just had it, you know, they're exhausted. You know, they're very angry or irritable. They're like, you know, you you see those people who are kind of moving quickly and they just want to get away. Like it's it's like they have this heightened sense of I don't know what, you know. It's it, you just see it when the fatigue is there and they just don't have the fight in them anymore. It's kind of like, well, what sense does it make me bringing it forward anyway? Nobody cares, right? What's the sense in me bringing it forward anyway? You know, custody isn't going to make the accommodation. I know there was a point where we were like on a lockdown and, you know, the clinical team was really trying to keep the offender population engaged and provide as much therapeutic um, intervention as they could. And so someone wanted to just give them coloring books, right? Like not like baby coloring books, but you know, adult coloring books with like coloring supplies, like whether it be coloring pencils or coloring crayons, whatever it was. And like, there was this big pushback from custody of something as simple as that. And like the clinician kind of just threw her hands up and I could see the frustration. Like every single thing we try, there's a problem. Nothing is okay. Clearly they don't care about you know, the mental health of these patients. We see them as patients. They always see them as inmates. And so because there is what they see as a disconnect, they think we don't get it. And that's not true. They are inmates, but in our clinical environment, in our clinical conversation, they are our patients. And we're not missing the mark by by considering them anything otherwise. We don't forget that they're inmates. We're in prison. There's no way for us to forget that. But there's a way for you to just still allow for some dignity and some humanity in the midst of the care provision. So, you know, this compassion fatigue is a big thing. And certainly in corrections, we see it in many service providers, whether it's the nurse, whether it's the clinicians, you know, even me, me reading through many of the health records, you know, to see like, what is the treatment plan, understand what's going on, even our interdisciplinary team meetings and understanding why we have an entire team working on why is this case particularly complex? Like these things that I read, like sometimes I would sit there and I just couldn't imagine being this person. And wanting to, like, what can we do to help them? What can we do to stabilize them? And understanding that these folks have probably been in years of treatment. And there's probably not much that we can do in our current space. But we try to figure it out. 
And so sometimes they're trying to figure it out. It builds the frustration. It builds the anger. It builds the irritability. You know, like we think about how many different people did this person come in contact with and no one helped them, right? And like now they're in this dire space where now they're behind bars because we do try to get any collateral from the community we can, any treatment history, any anything we could find just so that we have as much of a clear picture of this person's clinical um, picture as possible. And it's not always a good picture. And, you know, when they get to us, sometimes it is just really late and it takes a lot of work to get them to a place where they can be stable and they can be hopeful and they can have some sort of future-oriented perspective. You know, either way, for us, Compassion fatigue is a big deal and we do our best to mitigate that by really working with the staff as closely as we can, allowing them to have time off when they need it, allowing them to disconnect when they need it, and really just supporting whatever their activities are in the facilities so that it's not so frustrating and it's not so challenging. No matter what David and Goliath situation you find yourself in, remember the words of Rosa Parks, you must never be fearful about what you're doing when it is right. I hope that I've given you enough to continue a healthy conversation about our correctional staffers and the issues that they navigate behind the wall. Thank you so much for listening as I continue to make my own slice of the world a little better. You have just listened to The Fly Behind the Wall, now available on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, CastBox, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Stitcher. Be sure to subscribe, share, and write a review. Join me next time Behind the Wall.